Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you are listening to Something to Wrestle With, the man who makes it all possible, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. What's going on today, man? Man, I am fired up and ready to go. Uh, we, we got a poll this week, man. We got a lot of feedback on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We got Nobody really cares what the hell I have to say about Monday Night Raw, TNA, or SmackDown. So we're, we're following the feedback, and we're scrapping that, and we're going to get right into the main event, what happened when. You heard Bruce reference it. We're actually suggesting that you you get to program the show. How fun is that? That's a little revolutionary for you in the podcast land. Every week, we're going to throw up a poll on our official Twitter account. It's at Pritchard Show. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to kind of shape the show. What are we going to talk about that week? You get to decide. It doesn't get more fun than that. So throw us a follow on at Pritchard Show. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. And now let's get into it. What you picked this week. What happened when the Montreal Screwjob went down in November of 97? And Bruce, when we start to talk about this, you know, this has probably been covered to death. But not by a lot of folks who were there for the whole thing as it happened. Uh, There's been lots of speculation and pieces. But now we're going to get the perspective from you, from someone who was known Brett for a long time, booked Brett for a long time, and then was there in the aftermath. So I kind of want to go back to 1996 before we really get into Montreal, because I feel like that's where a lot of the groundwork was laid for this. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. But when... when we put up, we were going to talk about Montreal. I wanted to talk about the smoked meat and the hot dogs. and Well, it turns out that's not what everybody uh, took to Damn, me in I'm there. confused. So we could talk about Pat Patterson, I guess. He's from Montreal. He is from Montreal. Montreal's most famous citizen, by God. Well, instead, we're going to talk about Bret Hart. Okay. Uh, I think that's what everybody really wants to talk about. And, and I'm kind of like, I, we had some feedback on Twitter. What else can you say? But you do have some interesting perspective because you were there... Uh, for a lot of the contract stuff and a lot of storyline stuff and a lot of the aftermath, so to speak. And really, uh, it is responsible for catapulting, in my opinion, the Attitude Era. And so uh, before we cover a whole lot of Attitude Era stuff, why not go ahead and cover what really kicked it off, and that is Montreal. So let's go to 1996, uh, post-WrestleMania 12. When you guys went into WrestleMania 12... You knew the finish was going to be overtime. You knew it was going to be Shawn Michaels. You knew he was going to be the new flag bearer for the company. Uh, but Brett was still booked on, was it a European tour or a Middle Eastern tour that he still made dates on after that. But what was his obligation as far as your recollection goes? Brett was with us. I mean, Brett, Brett was committed, Brett. There were big time plans for Brett after WrestleMania 12. What were they? Do you recall? Well, yeah, and work with Sean and, and do a lot of the things that we did uh, throughout the summer and continue to build and continue to build for the future and move on. The But that didn't happen in 96. Like, you know, he, he left for a while. And he left for a while. That was planned. For Lonesome Dove or just time off or a combination? It, it was time off. Brett had been, been running hard and Brett had asked for some time off. And what better time? And, and frankly, you know, you go back to work shoots and right. so on and so forth. There was, uh, we followed Brett all the way out. When he or, jumped in the car and the whole deal. You know, and he came through and, and I'm standing there and go, hey, good match, brother, which I caught hell for. But, uh, you well, know, Brett well, why would you catch hell for that? Say, brother? Yeah, I, you know, events. Oh God, damn, pal! But because <laughs> because the boys say brother, or because no, you were trying just, to get your shit in just, and say no, brother. No, it wasn't. It just I caught shit for everything. 
But it was one of those things where that was Brett's idea. Brett's whole thing was, let me leave, have everybody, you know, if everybody backstage is talking, oh, Brett was pissed off he had to drop the title, Brett was upset so Brett when he left. So Brett kind of wanted to work the boys a little. Without a doubt, 100%. Okay. And, okay. It was, and that was Brett's idea, okay. and the idea behind it was Brett was going away, going to take some time off, do some different things. So in his absence, let the talent, which you're going to do anyway, they're going to gossip and feed upon themselves so give them something to talk about and brett was going off to do other things at the time and take some time off he wasn't going to be talking to anyone that wasn't family so what better time to do it am i making this up i feel like memory serves probably Uh, he worked uh, a match with uh, stone cold steve austin at the time just steve austin i believe bret hart okay in the summer of 96 i think it was in kuwait would that would that have been I know you guys did a video release of uh, a tour over there, but it seems like that was kind of a one-off. The uh, tour may, you know what? I, and again, I don't know specifically. Sure. I don't remember, but I believe it was a situation where the Kuwaiti tour had been booked in advance, and Brett was one of the talent that had been promised so on that he, tour. So that's probably why, if he wasn't working domestically and wasn't a part yeah. of things, why Brett was a part of that. So uh, carry me through this. I'm curious about the business aspect of that. When you're saying that's a talent that was promised, I'm of the impression that a lot of the overseas shows are often sold shows. Could you kind of explain what that means to some of our listeners? Well, some were and some weren't. And there was a period in the business where we would go overseas and we would go different places where they would purchase the shows. They would say, hey, I want to do six shows X amount per night. And then they pay And, and a promoter. Is a promoter, yes. Yeah. Okay. So we would pre-sell the shows. So if... The and they would cover travel, hotel. They, co- they everything. covered everything. Okay, they covered everything. So we didn't have to worry about if we sold a thousand tickets or if we sold ten thousand tickets. Do you remember uh, one in particular, one of these sold shows that was just an absolute disaster? Like, not for you guys because you guys got your money, but you I mean, in terms of the promoter taking a bath. No, not really. Um, I remember that there were times in some of the Middle Eastern countries where they would bring us in and they would want to have multiple shows in the same arena, uh, multiple nights back to back. And the deal was, was it was for a very select group of people. Okay. So you're performing in a building that holds maybe five, 10,000 people. And it's only, there's only a thousand people there. Mm. Now, of course, you know, there are probably those in the business that, we're saying they only drew a thousand people in Hoshbag Kamashnabits. But they were reality, ra- they were prepared for that. Yeah. We knew it going in and yeah. we had been paid on, you know, if we had drawn ten thousand people. It was a sold show and the people that were putting the show on were putting it on for a select For those thousand. Yeah. Okay. Group of people. But to the outsider that doesn't understand that or know that, they're like, Oh God, they went in there and only drew so many people. The reason I find this interesting is he does that tour and has to work to, with Steve Austin. And then he comes back uh, and is immediately programmed with Steve Austin, which I would assume, and I'm probably wrong. And I want you to myth bust it now for us. Brett asked for Austin. 
Probably. Okay. Brett and Steve had great chemistry. And they knew that even early on. Yes. Brett just said, Hey, I can make, I can do something with this guy. Without a doubt. Yes. Okay. Yes. So then, uh, there's kind of the, will he, to to go back to your, you know, that, that, that question a little bit. When Steve came in, he went around on top with Shawn Michaels when Shawn was the champion. Ice cold with no no angle, no not a lot of promotion. It was just Steve Austin, the million-dollar champion, um, and Shawn, and they tore the house down every night. And everybody wanted to, you know, they're, they're guys you want to work with. And Steve was one of those guys. And Brett's one of those guys that everybody wanted to work with. So Brett, seeing Steve, he loved working. He being Brett loved working with Austin. So Brett is now kind of, um, this is the fall of 96. I think it's October. I'm freestyling. Uh, and there is a discussion about will he or won't he, at least for television purposes, as far as will he sign with WCW? Will he return to the WWF? Oh God. And that's when it comes out that he signed a 20 year deal carry us through that whole contract situation what was real what wasn't this is a weird time in the wwf the nwo is really starting to take hold jim ross has turned heel he's brought back fake razor and fake diesel uh farouk is uh, you know ron simmons has a stupid gladiator outfit on it's there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the promotion so carrying us through if you're defending the Farouk thing, we got to circle back to that. Curious through the, the, the contract situation with Brett in the fall of 96. Well, the Farouk thing was great. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. A lot of people skip over that part. That's, that's funny. Um, there was, again, I, I don't really remember the time frame either. But the issue was Brett had been, it was during a time that WCW was on fire on fire they were kicking our ass in the ratings and they were offering deals to a lot of our talent who had contracts that were coming up brett being one of those people brett indicated that he didn't want to go that he wanted to stay in the wwf at the time can i ask who you think would have helped set that up kevin nash scott hall ddp i uh, have no idea uh, yeah i absolutely no clue on that okay but the situation was one that, again, let's let's go back even, well, in the same time period. Hulk Hogan's contract was up at WCW coming up. So Hulk was also negotiating. I see. Which very few people actually know. Hulk was negotiating, and Hulk put the feelers out. He wanted to see if there was anything... Back in New York. And this is just uh, a few months after the NWO. That would have been July of 96 when Hogan joined. We're in October now. He was now. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So we're just a couple of months in to a pretty big time angle and Hogan sending feelers out. Yeah. Okay. His contract was up. He had the option. He had the right to at that time. And we were exploring those options. Uh, seeing, you know, what do we want to do? Uh, Hulk Hogan's available. Hulk Hogan arguably was the guy who the WWF was built on and that's arguable. The biggest. Yeah. That's not arguable. Some people, some people will argue it. Sure. But here you have Hulk Hogan, who's available and wanting to come home, if you will. And you've got Bret Hart, whose contract is coming up and is wishy-washy on where he wants to be. 
Well, if you lose Brett, what do you, you know, what do what you, do you pick re- up? Yeah. Right. And if there's an opportunity to pick up a Hulk Hogan, then That's- do you need Brett? Right. So that was debated back and forth. Vince went out to Denver and met with Hogan. Wow. And uh, I'll never forget it. Vince went out there to, to meet with him and, you know, tried to keep it private. And Hulk was like, no, oh, man, let's go Are those go all airport meetings? Do they always meet? No, they the met in a hotel. Okay. And Vince was like, you know, you want to come up to the room? He says, no, let's go down to the restaurant. And they met in public. So everybody could see, and Hulk's thing was, you know, I, I believe, looking back, and you know, we thought about it afterwards that that was obviously a Hulk. negotiation tactic for WCW. Sure, exactly. Yeah, and we, you know, had Hogan's contract. We looked at it. We had an opportunity uh, to match it, make it better, give him an offer. But WCW had the opportunity to match it. Sure, uh, with Turner. So, again, we went back and forth, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, and and chose Brett. So you guys didn't make an offer to Hogan? I don't think we did. And you don't think you did because his contract demand was too much? His asking was too much. His asking was a lot. However, Vince being... Do you remember a number? I don't. But I do remember Vince saying that if it helps you, Terry... I'll, I'll make you an offer. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, Vince is always good. That's like pretty that. good. That's pretty I mean, solid of him. Yeah. He said, he goes, if it helps you, I'll, I'll, I'll make you an offer and I'll honor it if, if it's what you want to do, but I'm not going to pay you what you're asking. Right. And so the decision was made to make Brett an offer. So at this point, um, you guys negotiate terms with Brett and there's been a lot of talk about that contract. Was it really a 20-year deal? Yes. And, and do you remember, was it a million dollars a year for 20 years? Is that what the no, number was? No, it was not. No, it wasn't. It was it was staggering numbers. It, it was high during the times that Brett was wrestling. And on for TV. The remaining, yeah. For the remaining years that he had left to compete inside the ring. And then there was a period where he would appear periodically as a as an attraction. And then there was a time that we wanted Brett to be a part of the office and be a part of the company, developing talent, working with talent behind the scenes. And How do you think Brett would have did in that role? I think Brett would have been a good teacher. I think Brett could, could help guys with telling stories in the ring. He had, look, say what you want to about Brett Hart. I didn't. And I didn't say anything bad. People have. Okay. I, I probably have. Um, but Brett in the ring told beautiful stories. But you think he would have been a good teacher too? I'm not saying that I Brett do. couldn't have been. I'm just wondering what you think. I, I do think he 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 would have been a great teacher because Brett always asked the right questions. Okay. And he always would tell you why he did something and understood the psychology of why he was doing something. Well, did you have a conversation with Brett to know why he picked WWF over WCW at the time? Well, okay, let's, let's get to that. So the offers made, right? Brett didn't give us an answer for how long you remember that night on Monday night raw. Oh, come on. God is my witness. Uh-uh. Okay, uh-uh, because you know, because you were there. No, I'm just saying, that whole Vince acting, oh, my gosh, or thank goodness, that was a shoot. Brett didn't show up until one hour before we went live. Okay, so he told him backstage, and then... 
Yeah, but we weren't sure what he was going to do live. Honest to God, we okay. were not really sure. Yes, he did tell us beforehand. He did. But he showed up an hour before. Which is uncharacteristic of him. Not really. Okay. But it's bad business. And with everything that was going on with Nitro yeah. stealing our guys. and People was, are on edge. It's a window. Yeah, it wasn't comfortable. Uh, I didn't think that was cool. Right. But he did show up late, told him what he was going to do, but there was still that, is he going to go out on live TV and say, I'm going to Nitro? Right. There was a little bit of that unknown. Um, now, a lot of people are going to say, well, of course you would have done that. But So I want to talk about this. He negotiated with WCW years before in 1991 sure. and thought he could leave and then found out that his contract had rolled over. And is he was true? negotiating with WCW then. So the, the whole, there's a whole lot of Bret Hart, you know, super fans who say, oh, Bret would never do that. But in reality, he'd already done it once before. Right. Okay. Uh, so he makes the announcement in the ring and I assume the conversation had been, when you come back, we'll put you with Steve at Survivor Series. Cause that was a month later. Well, I'm sure there was, there was discussion, you know, at the time, as far as we had an idea what we wanted to do with Bret. Yeah. But there was also serious discussion, you know. Okay, what if he leaves? Yeah. You know, there's discussion, what if he leaves and we get Hogan? But then there was also the very real possibility of, what if we don't get Hogan and Brett leaves anyway? So let's fast forward to Survivor Series 1996. It's one of my very favorite pay-per-views you guys put on. Uh, it's really a pretty historical pay-per-view in hindsight. Rocky Mavia makes his debut. Uh, Yokozuna's last pay-per-view. Jake Roberts is there. Snook is there. Garden? Yeah, in the Garden. Um, it's a really big show and two of the matches really kind of start to shape the future of the WWE a little bit. Um, supposedly Vader was supposed to be in the main event against Shawn Michaels. That didn't go well at SummerSlam from Shawn's perspective. So supposedly an audible is called Sid is put into that spot. The garden totally dumps all over Shawn cheers Sid, even when he attacks Jose Lothario with the camera um, so it's a different time in professional wrestling and, and, and the undercard, uh, Brett and Austin put on one hell of a match and they do the WrestleMania eight finish that Brett did with uh, Piper where he pushes off the top turnbuckle with the sleeper hold and still gets the pin. I know you're laughing cause I remember all that, but it was a phenomenal show. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. What was the, the climate coming out of that show knowing, okay, the, New York, which we've always heard, the garden, is kind of Vince's measuring stick. Would you agree with that? That's what we've all heard online, that Vince really thought the pulse of the WWF was what the garden thought. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Sure, that's fair. So now they're they're shitting on Sean, and they're cheering Sid. What's the conversation coming out of that show? Well, I think that we always question ourselves. You know, it's we always had plan A and plan B. For most things that we did, you know, you always discuss what if, but, but two months after that, the, you're doing a super show at a dome. Well, that's the thing. And, and we had that kind of in our sights that, okay, we're going to San Antonio, Sean's hometown. They're not going to boo him there. Very traditional town. And, you know, we got to put 70,000 people in there. So do you switch gears we went with it and kind of looked at it as a bit of an aberration 
for what the garden was that night. Um, they booed the shit out of the rock too. Right. You know, Rocky might be, <laughs> um, they booed snooker that night. We in a place where snooker was a God and we just stayed the course, you know, because we knew where we wanted to go with Sean and we knew where we wanted to go with San Antonio in January. And it was a way of kind of christening Sean is the champion in January in I front wanna, of a big crowd. I want to pick your brain about that Royal Rumble show. Uh, Jim Cornette said uh, once in a shoot interview, and I thought this was an excellent analogy. Sometimes you have a show that needs a dome, and then sometimes you have a dome that needs a show. That felt like, based on the promotion, because we would hear all, you know reports that you love the rumors and innuendo, that you guys had to paper the shit out of that building and were giving tickets away and ticket prices were very economical. Was this just to kind of flex your muscles against WCW and show that you could still put on a big show or, or it seems really weird to have a Royal rumble that large of an arena. It had never been done before. Why then? Well, it was an, as I said, it was an opportunity to give Sean a showcase, a big showcase, a dome in his hometown. It was a great deal. Okay. For there the it dome. is. That that's, that's what I needed. Um, you know, so that was, that was a huge part of it. And the ticket prices were economical because it wasn't a WrestleMania. Yeah. We're in a part of the country, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of middle class that weren't going to pay those huge prices. Right. So it was always. It's not New York. Yeah, it's not New York, but it also wasn't WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could go into San Antonio with a WrestleMania and get WrestleMania prices. I, I, I believe that. But. When we went in there, it was a Royal Rumble. You got an awesome deal on the building. So you could do lower ticket prices, still do a much larger gate than you could have done at right. the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum, and put a lot of people in there, make it look good for the event and for Sean's kind of yeah. you know, anointment, if you will. So let's talk about that. Uh, that Royal Rumble, another one of my favorite shows, uh, comes down to uh, four guys. You guys do that. What a what a superstar lineup that '97 Royal Rumble has too. If you haven't seen it, probably the breakout performance of Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, at that point. But it comes down to the final four, um, and, and they do a final four pay per view the very next month in Chattanooga, and it's Undertaker, Vader, Bret Hart, and Steve Austin. And the plan, I think, was the, whoever wins that is going to face Sean for the title at WrestleMania. But along the way, someone loses their smile. So <laughs> carry us through I Lost My Smile and how you first heard about it and what your thoughts were and what the common feeling amongst the boys backstage was at that time. Oh, we were in Lowell, Massachusetts, and Sean had injured his knee. Did you just find out that day it was happening, or did you know ahead of time? No, we found out that day. He showed up to the building and said, I'm dropping the bill. Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see paint your life, transform your photos into a one of a kind hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. 
And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Yes. Hmm. So you guys have to just scramble and rewrite well, everything. Hang on. No, I, I, let me take that back. We knew Sean was injured, and we knew it wasn't good news. So the knee, right? The knee. Yes. Okay. So we knew that we had to get the title off of Sean, and the idea was that they would have a short match and a quick deal, and put the title on Sid in Lowell, Massachusetts. Or just wherever. That's where we were. Okay. You know, you get the news, you're you're given this information, you gotta do something, you got a live T V show to do it on. Um and then an audible is called. And this is the famous What show. Audible was called. He just dropped he forfeited the belt in the middle of the ring. Well, okay, hang on. You're getting ahead of me. You're okay. Going, you're going into your conspiracies now. Well, no, I'm just following what you just said. Okay. You just said the plan yes, was to drop we, we, the idea was and, and Sean didn't want to do that. And Sean felt that uh, he wanted to go in the ring and and forfeit the title. Now, not what we wanted to do. wasn't our plan A. wasn't our plan B. Um, but it's kind of what we were stuck with. And at no time did anyone know that he was going to lose a smile in the middle of the promo. So let me ask you: um, When you're saying it's not what Sean wanted to do, does Sean present that as, "Man, I don't want to lose the belt"? in five minutes when I can't give my best performance or does Sean just say, man, I ain't ain't doing a job like that. I'm not doing, I'm just going to drop the belt. You know, his, his thing was, I can't have a match. When people see me, they expect to see Sean Michaels performance. I think it's a chicken shit way to to get the belt off of me. I'd prefer to just go in and and forfeit the belt. So there's no, Sean has a, has a pride about him. Sure. That if he can't go in and be the Sean Michaels, that he thinks he can be, he'd rather not perform. Yeah, he uh, he kind of addressed that on the Ric Flair show earlier this year where he's always said what happens between the ropes, the actual match, that's what matters. Everything else right. is just conversation. Yes. So uh, you said, you made a comment there where you said, we didn't know he was going to lose his smile until halfway through the promo. So that line... I didn't know he was going to lose his smile until he said it. Okay. So when you're, when you're sitting back watching the monitor wearing a headset like you are now, and he says that, your reaction is... Well, you know, we try to watch our language here. No, we don't. So, yeah, we do. All right. Well, censor yourself. No, it was uh, just kind of what the fuck. Yeah. Because that's not forfeiting the title because of an injury that's not going to allow you to That's perform. I'm depressed. I'm leaving. That's, you know, mommy says I lost my smile. So let's just ask the, uh, let's address the, the elephant in the room. When, when he first says this, how many people are saying... He just didn't want to drop the belt to Brett. Or oh, everybody's like that. saying that. Okay. But he wasn't dropping the belt to Brett. He was dropping it to Sid. Well, but I mean, in terms of the knee injury, if he comes up lame in February, he can't 
he can't drop the belt to Brett a month later. But who says he was going to drop the belt to Brett a month later? What was the plan? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. You just don't Come know. Come on, it all you know what? We started this thing. We're going to talk about Montreal. Now there. you're you're racking my brain Listen, back to the let's run through this other stuff. No one listening is disappointed right now. Everybody <laughs> has heard Montreal a thousand damn times. This is true. Thank and, you and for bringing it up. And we're going to get there, and but we're going to tell the backstory okay. along the way. Okay. I think this is way better. Don't get hot. Okay. You're hot now. But folks, Conrad's hot. He's pissed. He's over there sitting, sh- shrugging in his chair. Okay, so let's run through it. Now he's mad. Go no, ahead. I'm not mad at all. Yeah, so um, the decision is made to um, do an old switcheroo. Brett wins the final four, but then drops it to Sid on Raw. Uh, loses it to Sid. Uh, we start to see a little more edge for the very first time from Brett. Was there any conversation about how difficult it would be to start the heel turn of Brett Hart? What do you mean? Well, Brett had been a babyface for such a long time at that point, and now he's gonna, you know, claim he was screwed by, uh, you know, to drop the belt to Sid on Raw, uh, and then he's gonna have a cage match, and then he's gonna say he was screwed there. He's gonna cuss on live TV. We're almost to WrestleMania 13 now. You guys are gonna do a double turn. I'm wondering if he had any reservations about being this hero and this baby face and this face of the company, the face that runs the place, so to speak. And now he's going to be a heel. No, not at all. Not that I remember. And, and frankly, the hotter the baby face, the hotter the heel. Sure. So the fact that he was all the things that you just described made it easier to make him a heel. When you guys would have someone cuss on the microphone on television would you give usa a heads up on that or would you just say well we had we had a delay in the truck so we could we could nip it in the truck you didn't always no so sometimes (laughs) we're human we miss it on purpose conrad you're okay you're making a face right now if you're really trying to get him over you want one to slip through every now and again is that more of a ask forgiveness not permission type situation Depends on the situation. Okay. You're not going to give me an answer. Let's move along. So WrestleMania 13. It's is a rib, here. Conrad. It was just a rib. Oh, I see. I'm trying to not do that this week. <laughs> yeah, it's just, all just a rib. Um, WrestleMania. But we looked in the box of gimmicks and we said, what should we do? Okay, okay. Go ahead. WrestleMania 13, one of my very favorite matches of all time. That's a great time in wrestling. Uh, Steve Austin, Bret Hart, I quit match. Uh, Ken Shamrock is the referee. Um, whose idea was it to involve Shamrock? Did you know all along he was going to be a wrestler? Were you just trying to feel him out? And at this point, we're just going to uh, do a special appearance, like a one-off? Or what's the plan with Shamrock? Oh, hell no. Shamrock was signed. Mm-hmm. Shamrock was in. He was just waiting to introduce him. Did you have the finish in mind, or you guys have the finish in mind, for that Steve Austin-Bret Hart match before you announced it was a submission match, or did you just reach in the box of gimmicks and say submission match, even though Austin didn't have an I quit maneuver? Well, I think it was Howard Finkel's turn to pick in the box of gimmicks. Oh, gosh. So he reached in and came up with an I quit match, and that's, you know, it just happened. What's that's the, how it works. What's the real deal? No, it, it was um, simply a situation of you've got a great technician in Brett, great technician in Steve Austin. They'd seen the other matches, and it made sense. It, it was it just made sense. So the the finish was booked at what point? Probably that day. So uh, really, an awesome match. You know, he uh, he bleeds out, so to speak. He passes out. He doesn't uh, tap out. He doesn't quit. 
uh, iconic thing that they never show on TV anymore because of the color. Uh, Brett does the honors for him. Is there any nervousness about, um, when I say do the honors, I mean, with zip, uh, he had a little help doing it. Uh, and, and Austin has admitted it's not something that he did often or he felt comfortable with or whatever. So Brett did it for him. Do you remember that being a conversation? Is that commonplace back then for one of the boys to take care of another in that regard? You're very weird about me asking this, aren't you? <laughs> Is this the one sacred thing you're not supposed to talk about? No, I, uh, you know, it was, it was not approved. It was not part of the match. Guys went into business for themselves. So he was supposed and- to just pass out and they decided to add the element of color. Yeah, come on. Are you serious? You asked me a question. I answered your question. Wow. That's news to me. I didn't expect that. So we come out of here and you do a, maybe the most magnificent double turn in the history of the WWF. Yes. At wasn't that it point. great? I mean, it really was. It, uh, it was. And you're not being facetious there, are you? It was phenomenal. No, I'm, I think okay. it was. I think it's one of those that you Best ever. guys should study to see how two guys can walk into the ring in opposite roles and leave. In opposite roles. So now, um, so now Brett's a heel, and, and and we get we start getting into the um, the spring, and there's some interesting stuff happening. Uh, at one point, Brett has to go have a knee surgery. Uh, he is in a wheelchair. Uh, I want you to just take it from here because you know exactly where I'm going. He's in a wheelchair. It's the end of Raw. There's a famous segment. He and Sean are in the ring. What happened? What was supposed to happen? Well, yeah, I guess uh, the more significant part of that is what didn't happen on air. Um, the end of the show was for Sean to super kick Brett out of the chair. So Brett's in the but, chair running Sean down with the mic. Yes, but Brett was supposed to get to a certain line and make a certain statement that would get Sean to kick him out of the chair. And back in those days, we had a hard time. We had to get out on the USA Network when we were live. So we didn't have these five, 10, 15, 20 minute Overruns. runovers that, you know, they can do now whenever they feel like mm-hmm. it. So if we got to that point, we would, we would ask for extra time. Sometimes they'd give us 30 seconds. Sometimes they'd give us a minute on, I believe on this occasion, they might've given us 90 seconds, but we're queuing Brett. Q and Sean, letting them know exactly how much time is left. Now, and tell, Brett's t- just not doing it. What's that mean? He is, he's not wearing an earpiece. So tell no, there are people listen. around. You got cameramen. You got people around the ring. And they have hand signals or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he knows it's You're time. You're winding them up. You're wrapping them up, telling them, you know, go home. Like, we're going off the air. Yeah. And. He ignores it. He ignored it. Brett just flat out ignored it. And so eventually Sean does the super kick, but it's not on television. Sure wasn't. And so when Sean comes backstage, what happens? He was livid. He was pretty pissed off. He knew it had been missed. He knew. They were oh, off. yeah. I mean, because at it, it, some point when we went off the air, people stopped giving him cues. And we're like, we're off the air. Yeah. We're, we're done. Yeah. And Sean knew we were off the air because he knew that he was seeing him give the cues. And Brett was seeing him give the cues. And Brett just did that just, just to steal the I, thunder. I don't know why he did it. To so, this day, I don't know why he did it. So they start going back and forth. At one point, there's a Sunny Days comment. What was the feeling backstage when the Sunny Days comment comes out? You know, I I think that people had kind of ch- chosen sides, if you will. You know, there are people in Sean's camp, people in Brett's camp. Okay. And I think that Brett and Sean stirred up both sides 
I think they were equally uh, can take credit for stirring the other one up. And I don't think it was appropriate to do on live TV. It was an inside deal for whatever reason that I, I don't like doing inside personal stuff on air and, on, and in public. It, it doesn't add anything to the product. It doesn't do anything. It's just petty and, and bullshit. Were those, was that talk really going on backstage? Was there really whispers about a Bret Hart Sonny thing at the time? I'm not asking whether or not it really happened. People were married at the time. I'm saying. There probably was. I mean, to say specifically, I okay. really don't remember. I remember the comment. Sure. I remember the comment. I remember Brett being pretty upset about it. So at some point, this comes to a head, and um, people are yanking hair <laughs> in the back. <laughs> Carry us through the backstage fight. I believe this would have been, I'm guessing, June. I'm not Hartford, Connecticut. I'm freestyling, but you remember. So tell us about this uh, hair incident. Well, it was, I, I wasn't there in the middle of the fight, but from, uh, an eyewitness, you know, they, Sean, they being Brett and Sean had words. Is the eyewitness Jerry Lawler? No. Okay. I was, was Lawler an eyewitness to it? I don't know. I just hear Lawler has the hair. (laughs) He may, uh, I don't know, but, uh, Sean and Brett got into it and they locked up. I don't know that I, I really don't even know that any punches were thrown, but they locked onto each other's hair and they went through a wall, you know, like a false wall that we had up for interviews and stuff. They went through the wall. What time of day is this? Is this early afternoon or is this right before the show? Or No, this is kind of late afternoon-ish. Maybe four or five o'clock. Okay. Something like that. And we were next door in Vince's office and we're going over whatever the hell we're going over. And, and Sean came in holding clumps of his own hair and talking about unsafe work environments. And we ended up sending both guys home and did the show without them. So at that point, um, was there talk about, I'm not working with that guy anymore i'm not putting that guy over do you remember any of that no no it was two guys who were pissed off it was emotional and you know it 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 spilled over i mean it happens it's a physical business it's an emotional business and uh when sean did the sunny days comment i believe brett caught a ration of shit from his wife and you know hey you got so many days on the road you go home to see your family the last thing you need is to have some shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Brett was upset and they got into it. I mean, it happens. So at this point, uh, there's a a quick little experiment with, uh, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels as tag champions, which a lot of people just kind of gloss over and don't even remember. Brett's having a series of phenomenal matches during this time, uh, with Steve Austin and really making Steve Austin with, uh, figure fours around a post uh, the ambulance, just lots I of think, fun stuff. We, I think that the stuff with Bret Hart and Steve Austin is probably some of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. And I think Bret's 1997 is the best year he ever had in the business as far yeah. as just overall entertainment and quality. Yeah. And just, I mean, it stands up even now. It's phenomenal. Uh, that July pay-per-view um, in Canada, Canadian Stampede, was outstanding. Oh. If you haven't ever seen that, it's one of the hottest crowds ever. 
you may not understand exactly what you're seeing because it's just a weird deal. And I want to talk about that. The dynamic of by the time you get to midsummer, Brett has ran down America so hard with some really great lines about if you had to give the United States an animal, you'd stick the hose in this town. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh. Just phenomenal uh, stuff. So south of the border, he is a heel, but north of the border, he is cheered like the second coming. Yes. Was this always the design? No. It just it just happened. It's organic. It just okay. happened. And, and vice versa are baby faces in the states and it kind of trends i mean it was it wasn't all the way bad. up and down the card yeah the americans were heels in canada, in canada. Yeah. It, it was a really interesting dynamic i mean you, you cross you, you cross an imaginary line you're in another country but you're in you step over that line you're a different person so let's run through that now um around this time you guys had to start having conversations with Dale Wilkes, who you worked with uh, back in Global as the Patriot. Um, so when this so- sort of America versus Canada situation starts to really boil, who says, hey, what about Dale Wilkes? Well, I don't. it, it wasn't about the America-Canada thing. Dale Wilkes was just a talent that was out there and available. I'd worked with Dale in Dallas with the GWF, Global Wrestling Federation, uh-huh. there in the Global Dome, Dallas, Texas, formerly known as the Sportatorium, Sacred Ground. Not there anymore. but um, The ground still is. It is. But Dell was available and always liked Dell, and we brought him in. And it happened to be, you know, his gimmick Good is the Patriot. Great timing. Why do you think he never got a shot in the WWF before then? He'd been around a long time, and he had a good look. His work wasn't bad. I mean. Well, I think he had a great deal in Japan. Okay. And Dell, I don't know if he was that interested in working the schedule that the WWF had. I see. So, But it was also one of those deals where it just didn't happen. Yeah. So right time, right place. Dell's there now. So we're in the fall now of 1997, and uh, some fun stuff is still happening. Now, uh, you know, uh, August, I guess we should cover this. Undertaker versus Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels is the referee. Uh, There's some tension between all three parties, but specifically between Bret and Shawn. At some point in the match, Shawn is involved. There's a chair there. Uh, Brett spits at Sean, Sean cranks back with the chair, smashes the undertaker accidentally. Now Brett Hart is the champion for what would be the final time. Uh, but it still starts to sow the seeds of Sean Michaels, Brett Hart. Did you know at SummerSlam that that was going to be the plan for survivor series? Yes. So the original plan was we sow these seeds right here, right then, um, that was the whole reason for it. Okay, so that sets up Survivor Series. What was the plan for Royal Rumble and WrestleMania as far as 14 goes? Wow. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what we did. You know, the only the only thing that that happened... The plan was for Sean to beat Brett at Survivor Series, and then what happens at the Rumble, and then Austin beats Sean at wrestlemania yeah I, you know what i don't know if it was necessarily at survivor series brett sped that up you know with leaving so it could have been the rumble or... could have been the rumble but the idea was always to have there, there were a lot of things that were discussed frankly but it was give me always... another alternative idea brett and steve 
So another alternative idea would have been Brett just keeps the belt and drops it to Steve at 14. Sure. Okay. Yes. I mean, it was, again, you had A, B plans. Sure. Okay. So the reason it went with Sean, again, timing and Brett leaving. So let's run through that. Um, you know, there, there was talk, you know, you, you want to get really crazy when we were talking about Hogan way back when there was talk of that being Hogan. That so, it could have been Hogan in Austin. Yeah. At 14. Yeah. Wow. That would have looked a lot different. I mean, but again, that's where I say, you know, there were A, B, C, D sure. scenarios of different things that we could do. The Hogan scenario went out that night when. So this is kind of weird to ask, but at this point, I don't know another way to ask it. Sean's made it public. Was his addiction situation starting to get out of hand in your opinion? Sean's? Mm-hmm. Um, probably. So it's, it, he's it, just becoming when, I, difficult. when you say out of hand, it was, I, I can't remember a time ever that Sean was impaired to go in the ring. Okay. So, uh, at this point, we're going to go ahead and go through September. It's ground zero. Uh, Undertaker dives over the ring for the first time. Now it looks like, well, we got to put these guys in a cage. Bad blood happens. It's the first ever hell in a cell. Kane makes his debut. Lots of stuff going on right here. Right. Now we're in the next pay-per-view and it's survivor series. And there's talk the week of the show, Brett's done. Brett's on his way out. So behind the scenes, what's going on when supposedly Vince McMahon goes to Brett and says, we can't afford you from your perspective. How do you remember that happening? Well, he did it in the garden. I remember that. I don't, I don't remember how many weeks out it was, out it was, but I remember being in the garden. I remember, were you in the room when it happened? No. Okay. No, I was not the, did you know Vince was going to tell him that? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. And it was Brett showing up late. So that you know, just... Vince, Vince had wanted to meet with him earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Brett showed up late. So when Vince had his meeting, I don't know that Vince was in the best mood, in the best of moods because he had to go out and do commentary and what have you. And in typical Vince McMahon fashion, he, that was October. Let's, let's cut to the chase, pal. Here's where we are. That's October because that's when Cactus Jack came back. Okay. Okay. So it was, it was done and, and Vince kind of got right to the point and told him, you know, we can't do this and I'm be happy to renegotiate, but I'll also go and reopen your talks with WCW. And if there's any way I can help you get more money there, I'll do that. Um, are you comfortable saying what you think the contract value was at the time? No. Are you comfortable saying whether or not he was the highest paid performer? Whether was Bret Hart the highest paid performer in the promotion at the time he was asked to take a pay cut? That's a tricky question. Just Bret yes. was one of the highest paid performers. Yes. Top three. Yes. Okay. So the other ones may have been Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker. Okay. All right. I got a hand gesture that tells me maybe. Uh, okay. I didn't know this was sort of keeping kayfabe with Bruce Pritchard, but I guess it <laughs> well, is. no, those are, those are personal and those are business I didn't confidential ask for a specific number. Yeah, but, you did. Uh, well, I said, are you comfortable with it? Yeah. I'm going to get, said no, I'm going to guess half a million. Am I in the ballpark? I don't know. Okay. You do know, <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> we'll put a poll up. Do you want to know the real number next week? I think I'm probably the only person listening who cares about that. Anyway, uh, I am curious 
what's the mood when Brett leaves the room as far as you remember? Is this a total shock to him? Is he happy that he maybe can go get more money? He's had problems with Sean here. Well, again, I was not in the room. I was not a part of the conversation. But you were around I, Brett I post-meeting. I mean. I was, and, and I guess pouty is a word. Okay. Um, I don't know that Brett was. He wasn't coming, happy well, about He it. wasn't showing up that day to learn, hey, we can't afford you. Yeah. So um, I'm sure he had a lot of things running through his head. So at what point do you become aware he's leaving? Well, Vince gave him the opportunity and gave him, you know, whatever paperwork he needed to negotiate with WCW and to go out and get his stuff. I want to say we probably knew maybe 10 days out before the pay-per-view. In that area, give or take, I don't know exactly when we found out. We found out, obviously, before the pay-per-view so that we could plan that he was leaving. So when you find out the week before the pay-per-view, had you guys already started discussing what was going to happen as far as how the belt would be taken off? There's been lots of debate about would it be at Survivor Series, would it be at Raw after? Uh, what do you remember about that? Oh, no. there was It was always we needed to do it at the pay-per-view. Okay. So that was the internal talk. We're going to do it at the pay-per-view from your perspective. What comes back to you? Like does Vince come in and say, he doesn't want to drop the damn belt now. No, it was, Brett was a part of that decision and Brett was a part of helping us come up with an idea on how to get the belt off of him. And what we do, we explain that, you know, when I say we, it was Vince. I was privy to those conversations right. as a witness um, but it was simply, this is what we have to do. All right. You understand what we have to do. And he understood what we had to do and help us, help us get there. And it just, it, it was like pulling teeth. It was very difficult. Um, Brett never, to my recollection, you know, he didn't like dropping the belt didn't want to drop the belt in uh montreal and but he was willing to do it he indicated you know i'll do it we just got to figure out how we're going to do it so it's your but trying to figure out how we're going to do it you know as randy savage used to say you win them in the ring and you lose them in the ring um it was it was difficult to that that's the best way i can describe trying to come up with a scenario give me an example like i yeah i don't know it, it just was freestyle a suggestion I, you, know, you get hunter involved and i don't know and we do something and it backfires or owen comes in and it backfires and then we can do something with owen and and davy there were, and again, the specifics, I don't know if that was it, but there were, there were specifics, there were different things and, and it was thrown back. Okay, Brett, you don't like that. What about this? Give me an idea Yeah. or give me something. Sure. Give me something you do like. And we didn't get a lot of feedback, if any. So it was frustrating in that regard that everything that we threw out was, no, I don't want to do that, but we didn't get anything. How about this? So that was a big frustration. The time that it consumed, this one match, you know, as we're going in, and, and that one match, frankly, was now going to affect everything. everything we were doing. So it, it was just difficult, and, and we had, um, 
you know, come up. I, I don't even remember what the hell they'd come up with, frankly, but it was well, the- talk to Pat Patterson, come up with something. But then, you know, of course, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary bullshit that they did with Brett wearing a wire in talking with Vince alone, which was Vince didn't talk to Brett alone through any of that until that one time when he got him, you know, and it was and, you know, Vince. So you said bullshit and then you said he got him. So you still hold a lot of animosity towards that film or the practices that it took to get that recording. I don't think that it was, you know, that's not real ethical to send one guy in with a wire and and record him while he's having a private business meeting with someone else. I don't like that. I don't think that's necessarily ethical. You know we're recording this conversation. Right? Yeah, I did. Okay. I'm well aware of that. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so t- c- carry me through that, I guess. Um, supposedly, uh, there's a phone call that happens, and Hunter is the one who suggests, quote-unquote, fucking him. Uh, is that the way you remember it? or well, where- There were a lot of people that suggested it. Okay. Who else suggested it? Do you want- I, I suggested it. Jim Cornette suggested it. Hunter suggested it. So it wasn't a, a revolutionary idea. Lots of people were like, if he don't want to drop the belt, we'll make him drop the belt. Exactly. Been done before. And supposedly, um, Sean asked Briscoe to show him some holds in case he had to defend himself. Is that true or false? It's true. Okay. So when would you have known, hey, if he don't want to do it, we're going to do this. What day of the week would that have been? I assume it was week Well, up. first of all, that conversation never took place. We went, we went in to that match. When I say we, everyone with the exception of Sean. Uh, so when everybody suggests, let's just fuck him, Vince always says, as far as you know, we got to come up with something else. Yeah. Okay. We got to come up with another way. So when do you find out that Sean asked Brett or Sean asked Briscoe for some, I didn't find out anything until after the fact. Okay. So let's fast forward. So no, I did not know you're watching. I assume, is it fair for me to assume you're in gorilla when yes. this happens? So you're in gorilla, you're in a headset just like you are right now. Uh, no difference. Only one ear. And from what I remember, the heart foundation, Owen and Davey, are right behind you about to run Actually, through they were the, right in front of me. They're about to run through the curtain to do a schmoz finish, which is what wrestling with shadows presented as what the original plan was supposed to be. Right. The bell rings. You're watching the monitor. It's not the finish. You remember booking or calling, or you're looking for. Correct. Pick it up from there. Well, okay. I'll give you guys. Okay. I'll go back and, I was going to say, I'll give you something that's never been discussed No, because it's personal, Do it. but no, I'm going to go to your point when the bell rang and again, I'm, I'm watching the match, but I'm not, I'm doing other things too. And I'm looking for the spot where Davey, Davey boy Smith and Owen Hart. And I think it was night Hart. Do a run in, do a run in. And we're sitting there and I hear the bell ring and I'm like, what the hell? And I'm yelling at the timekeeper. Why are you ringing the bell? And I look up on my monitor and Brett has Sean has his leg hooked and Davy boy and Owen are standing right in front of me. And Owen's like, what happened? What happened? And, <laughs> and Bulldog's like, they fucked him. They just fucked Brett and, uh, they screwed him. And they're like, what do we do? 
I'm like, I don't know. So they turned to look at you to ask what to well, do. They were staring at me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I and guess so they assume, you know, and you're not playing dumb. You really are dumb. To this idea. I have no clue. Okay. No clue whatsoever. I got it once. It happened. Once Sean rolled out the vents, I got it, but. And Sean tries to play it off. Like he's not involved. He grabs the belt and stomps yeah. backstage frustrated. Like yeah. he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, you're about to digress and tell a personal story. Well, the personal story is, is that we used to do undertaker was not on TV at the time. Okay. And, but he was there. Okay. And taker sat next to me at gorilla position the entire night. Was that normal? What? For Taker to sit by you and Gorilla when he wasn't working? No, I mean, but he had nothing to do and he was watching the show. So as far as you knew, but he could have been smartened up and said, "Hey, baby, hang on, okay, hang on." So we get, see, you just jump into the conclusions. So we're going to do the entrances, and the entrances were we followed both guys live all the way from the dressing rooms all the way down the hall through Gorilla Uh out to the ring. Uh huh. Well, I told Taker, I said, hey, man, I said, we're going to be shooting through here, so you need to go and move for the entrances. So Taker went, just walked down and went into Vince's office to watch the show. Never came back. So we have the match. Everything happens. I'm done. And I'm, I'm sitting there like a sitting duck. I have no clue what's going on. And I get up. And I'm going to go back to Vince's office where all my stuff was and where, you know, we all had our stuff. And as I'm walking back, I see Undertaker standing in the hallway to Vince's office with his arms crossed, kind of looking around. And I'm like, son of a bitch. He knew. Yeah. And now he's guarding Vince's office. Mm -hmm. And I blow by him. And he's looking at me like I got steam and turds hanging out of my mouth and we don't say anything to each other. Well, no, if you're going to say something. Yeah. We don't, you know, I, I'm mad at him because yeah. I think he knows he's mad at me because he thinks I know. And he thinks I sent him away hmm. so that he wouldn't be there when it happened. Now, what the hell he could have done about it or anything else? I don't know, but you know, so we think each other knows. And that was just my personal little thing that we had. Did a, y'all talk about it later? Oh yeah. So he did know. No, he never knew. No, he did not know. But he thought you knew. He thought I knew. Okay. And I thought he knew. And nobody knew. And nobody knew. Okay. So we were mad at each other and we were both kind of. On doomed. the same boat. Yes. So now uh, Vince throws a, or uh, Brett spits on Vince, throws a tantrum ringside, smashes the TVs, paints WCW with his fingers in the air, comes back through the curtain. Are you still in Gorilla at this point or have you hightailed it out of there? No, I was in Vince's office. So you go to Vince's office and you assume that everyone will congregate there or what happens? Does Vince come in the room next or what happens? Uh, yeah. Vince and Shane came in. I want to say say that Shane came in first. Uh, then Vince came in then Jerry Briscoe and then Jerry Briscoe went out and got Jr. and brought Jr. in and, um, that was it. So you guys are sitting around the office and then there's the, nobody was sitting. Okay. Everybody's standing (laughs) around the office. Um, what's Shane doing during all of this? You know, it's, I'm sure that everybody who wasn't there probably has this vision of us, you know, sitting around plotting. It, It was silence. 
I mean, yeah. it was silence. We, we sat there, we watched the monitor, Brett destroying everything. It's kind of like morning of death a little. Okay. I don't know what that is. Well, no, I'm just saying like, this is the, this is the, end. something is something traumatic right. has happened. This well, and is we not- know, and we know that it's, yeah. And it was far from the end and we all knew that. Yeah. And, um, Jerry Briscoe went to go and, you know, talk to Brett and pretty much go out and face everybody. And I mean, you know, Briscoe came back and Vince was like, you know, I need to go and I need to face him. I need to face everybody. What did Briscoe say? Brett said your call. Yeah. I don't recall him really saying anything. I don't even know that, that Jerry spoke to Brett. So Vince then goes into the locker room where Brett is. We, yeah, we made that walk and got spat upon by the Hart family along the way in the hallways. Uh, I mean, they literally spit on us. The wrestlers or the family? The family. So, like, his wife and... Yeah. It's spitting on his sisters. Yeah. They weren't happy. So, then you, uh, you walk into the room. At this point, Hunter and Sean are probably out of there. No, they were there. Okay. So... Walk into the locker room. What happens? Well, we walked in. On the way there, we were met by uh, Taker. What? And has has the director come up yet? Like the 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 company that's filming, has that been a topic of conversation at this point? What has, director? They're, they're the, shooting the, wrestling with shadows. Oh, they were nowhere around. That from the standpoint of what I'm with saying, us, I'm saying as far as Vince goes, is he thinking, "Oh shit, I forgot they're here." We need somebody to neutralize. Oh God, that, that was the furthest thing from our mind. Okay, that was the furthest thing from anybody's mind. Okay, it was kind of like a non-issue. Okay, but you know, we went. We got confronted by Undertaker, Davy Boy, and uh, Owen, and Nightheart. And Vince just looked at him and said, "Guys, what did you expect me to do? You know, I did it for you." So he. He wasn't willing to do business. I had to do something. I had to do something to protect each and every one of you guys. And um, I said, where's Brett? And he went down, walked down the hall. Um, Undertaker went in and pretty much got everybody that was not directly involved in the match. Got him out. And uh, I was there. Tony Gurria was there. Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry Briscoe, Shane, and then uh, the guys that were involved in the match. So anybody else that claims to have been there, um, Earl Hebner was not there. Earl was gone. Um, They weren't there. Um, Even Ken Shamrock asked if he could stay and was asked to leave. So, you know, and it was was pretty simple at this point. Brett was in the shower and Davey went in and told Brett that Vince was here. (laughs) Brett came out of the shower, still soaking wet and said, I'm going to finish taking a shower. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to knock you out. So he goes and takes a shower. Went in and finished his shower, came out, started to get dressed. And, you know, he and Vince, you know, he cussed at Vince and blah, blah, blah. And Vince just said, you know, Brett. You left me no choice. I had no choice. I had to do what was right for my business. I couldn't allow you to just take the belt and show up at our competitor. And 
had to do what I had to do. And I would think that you would respect that. And, it, you know, it got, it was heated on Brett's end. Vince was pretty calm through the whole thing. Um, I think both guys, emotions were, <laughs> were pretty high. And Brett did exactly what he said he was going to do. Brett got dressed, tied his shoes, picked up his knee brace, threw it in his bag, and got up and punched Vince. Was it just one punch and he was done? Or one was punch, that- one punch, and everybody was in between them. And Vince went down. Um, but everybody was in between them, and, and it wasn't going any further than that. Um, so he smartened up. You know, Vince told all the guys, you know, he deserves a shot. Let him get one. Yep. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you really dig into what we're talking about here. Because you kind of get the impression that a lot of WWE folks, maybe Vince, maybe not, certainly not then, view the world title as a prop. It's not a big deal. But right here, Vince is really defending that belt. It was a symbol of the company. It was a symbol of the brand and the company that Vince and his father had built. So to have... Your champion, I'm saying that, that symbol goes somewhere else. That symbol gets bounced around in pretty ridiculous fashion these days. I, I understand that. So I'm just I'm just wanting to clarify that what a different time it was in mindset. Right. Um. So let's let's kind of address the Medusa thing. Was that ever a discussion? I mean, did you guys really believe that Brett was going to show up on Nitro like Medusa did with the belt? How would you? I mean, how would you? think anything else did he negotiate when he was the intercontinental champion to take that belt to wcw to the best i have no idea if he did i have no idea whatsoever uh bischoff has always maintained that he never asked brett to bring the belt and knew that i believe that and that and he knew that brett and he and he says that because he'd already been sued for that right so there was you know not just because he's a nice guy but he knew i'm gonna get sued for that um but he doesn't start on tv for like a month after with WCW, but when you guys were still pretty steadfast and Hey, you know what? They'll do it anyway and just take the lawsuit and let him show up a month. Early we didn't know when he was going to show up. Okay. We had no idea, but regardless of when he was going to show up, we had to transi- transition that championship to someone else. that was going to be here that we could get behind. So Vince sustains, uh, a black eye, I suppose. And, um, some sort of ankle injury in the fall. And then limps out of there, and that's caught on camera in the movie. Your feelings about that being filmed and shown in the movie, or um, I mean, it's real life. I just I felt that the the portrayal it was not a fair portrayal. And you can say, you know, if everybody says I'm sucking Vince's dick and I'm towing a company line, I don't work for WWE. I probably will never work for them ever again you never say never but the way things are i'll probably never work for them again i'm quite happy where i am and what i'm doing right now and no i i don't tow any company line i have no reason to tow a company line but i also do not appreciate and will feed into the rumor and innuendo and bullshit and that documentary was very one-sided yeah their timing was great you know but it was it was strictly one-sided it wasn't a fair portrayal but that's what documentaries do 
If anybody feels, thinks that reality TV is real and documentaries are just showing you all the facts, no, they're in the interest of whoever's doing the documentary. So when this uh, fight is over, you guys go back in Vince's office. What happens next? Everybody just goes back to the hotel like a normal night? We left. So what conversations are you having when you leave the building, you make a phone call to somebody you're talking about this. You're, you're, you've got to be, your senses are high. Who are you calling? What are you saying? What's the talk? What's the theme? Well, Jerry Briscoe's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. And, and, uh, I had a little chat with Gerald and he told you that he knew and that Sean, he showed Sean some hooks or something. He told me what he had done the night before and that they had talked about it the night before. Um, and he went to Sean's hotel room or Sean was, was okay. I, you don't remember that part. I don't, okay. I don't know, but you know th- that he knew and, and I understood his position, uh, talked to Vince and you know, he pretty much said the same thing to me because I did it for you. I did it for everyone, you know, in my company. Uh, so the next day you guys go to raw and supposedly a handful of guys don't come or say they're not coming. Mick Foley didn't show up. One okay. guy. That was it. Everybody One. else showed. Everybody else showed. But they, maybe they were a little. And then Mick called and apologized and was there the showing. next day. So when you say everybody, Owen, Anvil, Davey, they're all there? Owen, those guys, no. And Vince asked them not to come. Okay. Told them they didn't have to come. Hawk is there. Uh, everybody everybody that, there. Let me put Everybody that was supposed to be there was there. Okay. So is anybody walking around with their ass on their shoulders, so to speak, about vince screwing one of the boys and they're trying to stand up for the boys or do people get it you know some got it some didn't and who didn't get it there were a lot of guys that didn't get it i i I don't know specifically who but there were guys that didn't get it um we had a meeting with the guys i I think we didn't have a meeting until the next day because it was we needed to get business taken care of and move forward so raw, you don't have a meeting. I don't think the, we had the meeting in raw. But on I think Tuesday, we had it on Tuesday. Okay, got everybody so you, together, and Vince explained, "Hey guys." So uh, like in an arena, they're all in the seats chilling, and we had a backstage somewhere. Okay, where catering or something like that. Okay, I, I don't. I remember the meeting, but I don't. remember What's where the, the gist hell it was. of the message that Vince pushes out? Same exact message that he always said. I did it for you guys. You know, this is the situation, guys. He left. Didn't want to do business on the way out. I did what I had to do. Um, I did it to protect you. I did it so that didn't give our competition another edge over us. I did it so that we would be it's, able to continue to do what he, we do. He maintains at that time that Sean didn't know who Vince. They all stuck with that story for a long time. Yeah. Okay. But you knew by then that Sean knew. I okay. didn't know by then. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, but there was no, but, but here's, and, and here's the reason for that. There was no reason to put undue heat on Sean. Oh, no, I totally get it. He had enough, Sean had on enough his own. heat on Sean had enough heat on his own. And there was no reason to put undue heat on Sean. And I'll tell you something that Vince said to me when we got back. Because, I, I, look, I, I was upset about it at the time. I felt that, you know, you just don't do that. But at the same time, I understood why. And late one night when we got back to the office, and uh, I never forget because I used to like to have my lights off and I had a lamp on my desk. And I would work by lamplight and it was later in the evening and it was dark outside and Vince comes walking into my office and I was the only one there. And, uh, 
just kind of, you know, typical Vince. How you doing, pal? So I'm all right. And I was being kind of a dick to him because I get you it. Felt left I out. understand. I felt left out. I did. I felt like, you know, you couldn't trust me. You could have trusted me and, and I would have been behind you and I'm behind you now. But what he said kind of put it all in perspective for me. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, you could have told me, he says, then you would have known. And that would have dumped on you. And I didn't want you to have to lie to anybody. This way you can look anybody in the eye. I I didn't know. And you weren't a part of it. That was to protect you. It's pretty smart. And I said, well, okay. I said, you know, I made, I said something with Sean's name. He says, well, I want you to think about this. Who else do you think would have had the balls to go in and do what Shawn Michaels did? That took a lot of balls. Not to just do it in the ring, but to walk back through that curtain and face all those guys in the locker room. Yep. And he did that for you. And he did that for everybody back there. So when you're mulling all this over, and I understand your emotions, keep that in mind. That's a fair assessment. And, you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, you're right. A lot of guys can say, well, I would have done this. I never would have done that. You weren't put in that situation. Right. So at this point, you know, you guys have, have told the Hart Foundation not to show up to the TV, but eventually you try to bring them back into the fold. Let's talk briefly about how that's done. It's pretty well documented. Owen got a bump. Uh, Owen had to, you know, feel a little weird about not supporting his brother, whatever that meant. But really, he had a job to do, and that's the reason he was in the WWF, not to hang out with his brother, not to support his brother, but to support his family. And he made a financial decision to stick around. Did Vince give him that bump out of obligation? Did he give him that bump to uh, uh, reward his loyalty? Did he give him the bump to stick it to the hearts? What's the motivation behind giving Owen Hart a bump to stay? Owen was put in a difficult position. Owen was Brett's brother, and Owen didn't do anything wrong. Well, here's my point. Normally, you'd like to think in the wrestling business that your pay is dictated by the level of draw you are and how effective you are for someone's business. Did Owen become that much more effective for the business because his brother got screwed to warrant that? Sure he did. Owen was a big part of that. He was a big part of that group, without a doubt. And He was a big part before, though. Yes. But the race comes after. I'm, I'm curious about okay. the timing of the race. Well, the race came after on on several accounts. He, frankly, became more valuable after that because he was the biggest heart. Because he was the biggest heart, and he was still there. So yeah. there was an issue, and you know it was a good deal for Owen. But it was it wasn't. Hey, well, let's pay him off because of Brett. Owen had the opportunity, just like Davy Boy and just like Jim. If they wanted out, Vince offered them their release. Owen didn't want his release. Uh, so for his loyalty for staying, he was rewarded. He was rewarded by being put in a program with Sean. He was rewarded monetarily, which he beaten. deserved. Yeah. He was still put in a top program, and he was taken care of, and Owen was, you Do know, you think he stuck around because he felt like this was his, his chance to be the top heart and now he really didn't have to be Brett's little brother. And maybe he had a chance to stand on his own. And if he went to WCW, he'd still be Brett's little brother. Yeah. I, I can't answer that for him, but I know that he wanted to be there. So, uh, Davy boys offered his release and I think Davy boy ended up going down South. He did. But, yeah. 
Uh, is, Thunder Nightheart. Is that viewed as being a big loss? To who? WWF. Oh, I thought you were talking about WCW. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to. No, it really wasn't. Um, so I, when they ask for the release, it's kind of like, as long as we get Owen, we don't care what happens to these two. No, we were willing to lose Owen if we had to, too. It but, was but simply, it goes back to the happy the locker room theory. Okay. Don't want an unhappy locker room. Yep. And so if they're unhappy, let them go. If they're unhappy, let them go. Now, uh, Nightheart leaves and comes back, yep. right? Uh, what's it like to have him reintroduced after he asked for his release? Do you remember? Does he call? Do y'all call? That seems like an Stu interesting. Stu always called. Really? Yeah. Stu even called for Jim. Stu always had to call for Jim. Okay. And so give me an idea. What do you think that conversation looked like or felt like for Nightheart to come back? Yeah, Vince, uh, can you do something with the rhino? Uh, he called Nightheart Rhino. I'll say. Uh, big bastard. Uh, they sure would appreciate it. Just kind of like that. I mean, it was. And Vince. Okay, sure. Vince loves Stu. Uh, at that point, when when Davey leaves, uh, he had some well-documented issues. Were those already reeling their head and it was like, Unfortunately, to deal with that. yeah, it, you know, it was unfortunate, but yeah. So who, who first we're going long here, but, uh, we're going to get things wrapped up, but we can't get out of here without talking about this. Who's sitting around the table and says, you know what? Vince has a lot of heat. We should do something with this. You know what? <laughs> oh God. For those of you listening right now, let me just clarify. We do not talk about this <laughs> off air at all. Uh, we literally sit down and with no research and just hit the button and talk. And I know some people are going to say that's lazy, but I think this makes for a better show. So whose idea is that? I, I, I have an idea because you don't yeah, want to say it. It kind of happened. It, it was organic. You know, there, there. There were people that used to say, well, goddamn, Vince, if you just went out and were you, you'd be the hottest heel in the territory. Who would say that? Some people. And there were there were other people that would say, no, Vince is the greatest thing ever. No one could hate him. And this other person would say, are you kidding me? Just just go out and be you. You'd be the hottest heel in the company. So I think the first voice is Pat Patterson. I think the second voice is Jerry Jarrett. I think the third voice is you. Yeah, I kind of urged him to be himself on camera and let the cards fall where they may. So he goes on TV and does the, I think you're smarter than good guys versus bad guys. I think, you know, I don't know this. Well, I take it back. I do know it. But Vince did not go into the interview, Brett screwed Brett, with the anticipation that he was going to come out of that as a character or a heel. Really? Vince went into that as an explanation from a company standpoint, thinking that people would rally behind and rah-rah WWF. It was more of a Brett screwed Brett. WCW was trying to screw us. We're the little guys here. And woe is us thinking people would rally behind. Instead, you know, they went with, well, you're the owner. You could have fixed it. Screw you. And we got Mr. McMahon on our hands. And that, that initial, that initial interview with JR, right? With JR. Yep. 
That was designed to just be the for company sympathy. statement. That was that was for sympathy. Did you know when they were when they were taping it? Because you're in the production piece here. Did you know uh, this ain't going to go the way he thinks? I thought it was great. Well, but you thought it was great to establish him as a heel, or you thought, oh, they, they'll they're going to bleed blue here. They're going to they're going to be with the WWF. Oh, I thought they'd shit all over us, and they did. They did. And but they shit over us in a great way. And so, not too long after that, uh, you know, around this time is when you know Cornette is coming out and doing rants about WCW and being edgy. Mm-hmm. And Vince does the "you're smarter than good guys versus bad guys," and the Attitude Era really gets kicked off. There's a whole lot of talk that Montreal is the greatest work in the history of wrestling. They outworked me then. Because Brett made more money. Vince made a lot more money. Set the whole territory on fire. And it was the biggest boom in the history of the business. And it was the the match that ignited it all. You could say was Montreal. That was all my idea. A hundred percent. Yeah. I thought of it all. I planned it all out. You know, I wish... I wish that I could say that, yes, we were that smart and we planned it all. Sometimes things just happen organically and you capitalize on them, and it depends on what you do with it after the fact. Uh, This, again, it was a work. I was worked. It's like everybody else. Um, But you don't believe, as a smart man who spent most of his entire life in the wrestling business, this was a work? Nope. Do not believe it. And if it was a work, if it was work, then they were only, out. only Brett and Vince know it. Right. But a lot of other people would have had to know it for it to be what, what it became. What heat, if any, was on Hebner because of this? Well, obviously there was heat with Brett. I think there was amongst the boys. Again, I think people had their different camps. Some people thought some that people was thought, bullshit. Yeah. Some people thought. It was, and some people understood. Earl Habner had a family to feed. Brett wasn't going to feed him. Yeah. His boss asked him to do something. His boss didn't ask him to do something. Boss told him to do something. Any any regrets about the Montreal thing? None. Do you think that uh, Vince made the right call, and if he had to do over again, he'd do it the same way? Or do you think he's learned lessons since about maybe a different way to handle it? Same set of situations, circumstances, same everything, do it exactly the same way. Was Pat Patterson there that night? Was he there? Yeah. Yes. Pat was agent for the match. Did Pat know? Nope. Was Pat upset with Vince? Very. How long was it before they fixed things? Probably took a little while, but Pat was very upset because Pat was vulnerable. Brett thought Pat knew. Brett thought we all knew. Well, and, and Pat was pretty good friends with Brett. Yeah. And they're in his hometown. They're in Montreal. And yes. I could imagine that was a pretty but, emotional deal but for Pat. Vince didn't tell Pat for that the same reason. reasons he didn't tell me, didn't tell JR, didn't tell a lot of guys to protect him. So Vince let Brett believe the next night on Raw, he's going to forfeit the belt. I Knowing guess. We're not going to really do that. I guess from that, yeah. So at that point, when you think he's going to drop the belt on Raw before the match, of course, what did you think would be the angle that would set up the December pay-per-view and then the January Royal Rumble and then WrestleMania before the bell rings, before you know, well, shit, that's all different. I mean, the idea was get to WrestleMania with Steve. Steve, that was a plan. Steve and Brett at that point. Well, you're talking about Raw. Okay. So he drops it to Sean the next night. 
Well, you got to get it to somebody that's going to be here. Okay. So he would have. Brett put- ain't going to be here. <laughs> so Brett ain't an option anymore. Okay. So you know, go with the, go with the hot heel. Okay. Well, is there anything else we can talk about Montreal? Any any other memories that stick out? Because I can't imagine uh, that there's many stones that have been unturned, but the Undertaker story was a big one for me. Yeah, it, it was, you know, again, that was personal stuff and, and Taker and I didn't speak for a day and we had a fairly heated and emotional conversation the next day, but, uh, you know, we got through it. So any other details about Montreal you'd like to share before we wrap this one up? None that I can think of. I think it's been analyzed and covered to death. Well, I really appreciate you allowing us to go into such depth. And I know I started, you know, more than a year prior, but I really feel like prior to that resigning. Don't and apologize to me. Apologize to those people that answered a poll and wanted to talk about Montreal and you're talking about. No, we got Cleveland. there. <laughs> well, we got there. The, the gist of why Montreal happened was getting out of a contract. And, and you can't really talk about that unless you talk about how the contract started to me. And now you've got the full story. Of well, I what, liked it. What happened when. You personally screwed Bret Hart in Montreal. I didn't screw Bret Hart. Bret screwed Bret. What a great way to end it. Be sure to throw us a follow at Pritchard Show on Twitter. We're going to take a poll every single week to cover a topic that you want to. Uh, trust me, this is going to be a fun ride. You don't want to miss out. Tell your friends. Hit the subscribe button. Let's make it happen. We'll see you next week on Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.